Welcome to the Wags of SCI podcast, where we discuss life, love, and caregiving after spinal cord injury. Hosted by Elena Pauly and Brooke Paget. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Wishart Brain and Spine Law. Led by our personal mentor and lawyer, Robin Wishart, Wishart Brain and Spine Law is a uniquely specialized law firm located in Vancouver, British Columbia. They focus their practice on complex spinal cord injury and traumatic brain injury cases. And they work with clients all over North America as advocates and a much needed resource in the spinal cord injury community. Robin and her team look at their clients differently than other firms. You're not just a case, you're a person with a family, a life, and a purpose. They are always looking for ways to help improve the quality of life for their clients by providing the support they need for their recovery, such as assisting with insurance and benefits paperwork, finding resources for home adaptations, setting up medical appointments with doctors and specialists, and making sure that their clients are doing physically and mentally okay. Wish Our Brain and Spine Law is proud to support WEGS of SCI. Robin is committed to helping clients and their families any way that she can, because she wants you to live your life and not your claim. Your first consultation is always free. So contact them at brainandspinelaw.com and make sure to mention that the WEGS of SCI sent you. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Wags of SCI podcast. We're so happy you could join us this week um, with your hosts, Brooke Paget and Elena Polly. Today, we have an occupational therapist named Evan from British Columbia, Canada. He completed his master's of occupational therapy in 2009, which included an independent study on the wheelchair selection process for clients with spinal cord injuries. He is currently working with Access Community Therapists, focusing on complex seating and positioning for people with spinal cord injuries and people with developmental disabilities in the community. He regularly presents at the International Seating Symposium and educates occupational therapists, occupational therapy students, and other healthcare professionals in complex seating Positioning. This is going to be a good one, you guys. For anybody who doesn't know, for friends and family, what an occupational therapist is, we are so excited to introduce Evan McKenzie today, and he's going to explain to you exactly what that means. Thanks so much for inviting me to join you guys today. I'm really excited to talk to you and, and talk with your group. So I think the first thing and that I'd like to start talking about is what occupational therapy is. Um, I think it's a bit fuzzy. Even in healthcare, a lot of people don't totally understand what occupational therapists do. The way I like to describe it is that we're all about function. Anything that helps you complete a task, whether it's providing someone with equipment that they need, helping somebody if they're having mental health issues, it's all about task focused. So if there's an issue that you're having based on your injury or as a result of your injury will help you work towards that task. It can be anywhere from brushing your teeth to going to grab a coffee to participating in social activities that you previously did before your injury or that are impacted as a result of your disability. 
That's a great definition. And we're so glad to have you, Evan, because there are not a lot of occupational therapists that are available in the community or that people know of, especially in the U.S. Um, A lot of our followers are from the States and they think that occupational therapists are just available to them when they're at the rehab hospital. They don't know that you can find a private or community OT out in the community that can help you on a regular basis if you need it to like better your life pretty much. So we're super glad that you're on. And for those of you who, um, who don't know, Evan McKenzie is, uh, our community occupational therapist, my husband, Evan and I, um, and he has known us for the past seven years and he's been helping us tremendously. He's, you know, provided us with notes when we need it for insurance. He's justified things for us. He's been on our side and he's just a great voice um, to know. And we're so thankful for him. So thank you again for coming on, Evan. Uh, We have a bunch of questions for you, actually, that we asked our community. Um, Right, Elena? We've we've got a bunch of, uh, of questions that, you know, these women want to know. Absolutely. So we've gathered a few from you guys, audience. Sorry, Charles, my little dog in the background has a few (laughs) things to say as well. Um, One of the biggest questions that we had is, is it important to have an occupational therapist after the initial stages of your injury? And when, when you are first fresh out of rehab, like why is it so crucial to continue on with the occupational therapy and the physical therapy? Uh, once you're gone, you know, once you're released from rehab, it's kind of like fend for yourself, <laughs> figure yeah. it out. And that can be a really scary time. Um, I think that's a great question. I think occupational therapy can also be very different in the hospital and in the community. I think in the hospital, unfortunately, with the way our system is set up is we're often really the receivers of care and the care is dictated by those healthcare providers in the hospital. Them saying what we need to focus on, these are X, Y, and Z that you need to do to get out of the hospital. In the community, I feel like it's very different in that occupational therapists get involved. And I like it when my clients dictate what their goals are, when they tell me what they want, what I can help them work towards. And that's why I see it's very different in the community. And we can still, as occupational therapists, can still assist clients. Now, what, what I always tell my clients is that you're, you're living with the spinal cord injury. I'm working with the spinal cord injury. You're thinking about it 24 hours a day. I'm thinking about it maybe eight hours a day through my workday. I do have experience working with other clients, but your experience is still unique. So like, help me help you. That's why I like being in the community so that I can listen to what my clients' goals are, the things that they want, and try to get them towards those goals that are meaningful to them. The, the other thing that I was going to say about why it's important to have an OT involved is it's, it's such a whirlwind. Like your, your whole life has changed. And as an OT, I've helped clients through this process before, and I can, I can be a resource for you. And there's a lot of decisions that, that need to be made in an experienced OT can, that's made these decisions before, I, I feel is an invaluable asset. And this can even be a costly thing too. If mistakes are made when you're getting a wheelchair, I've talked with a lot of clients that have gotten their first wheelchair and already aren't happy with it. 
months or a year down the road. And that, that can be a very costly mistake if they didn't involve an occupational therapist or someone else to help them kind of navigate that process and what equipment they need is as well as like Brooke mentioned letters of justification. And that is something that we're able to do to, to help you guys achieve funding and but get it's those also, resources. Paid. You know what though, Evan, it's also a lot of preventative work, right? I mean, you have helped us like, to not make mistakes, you know what I mean? Or to know that, oh, you know, that's probably a risk there. That's probably a risk there. I find that was a huge part of what we've learned from you is like, what are we doing that could bring a skin injury on? Or what can I be doing better in a like proactive way? Yeah. And and I'm, and I'm glad you mentioned that, Brooke. And, and I'm glad you found it that, that valuable. It's like we're trying to focus so much on on prevention. I think that that adage of uh, like an, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. I I don't I can't find an error in my life where it rings truer than than with skin and with with maintaining skin and all these things that you can do it at this end because it's so much better if we get people set up from the start. Then we don't have those clients down the road that have had those issues. I have clients anywhere from new injuries leaving our our local rehab hospital to clients that were injured like 50 years ago. And those clients that are injured 50 years ago, sometimes a lot of my work is spent trying to undo what habits that have developed or postural tendencies that have developed and trying to address those issues that if they were addressed in the beginning the client or the person would have actually been a lot better off. Yeah. And we see this so often. Um, we are unfortunately the ones that need to learn the most because there are a lot of places that on the body and there are a lot of things that we do like positioning and checking the skin and making sure we're doing these things properly that a lot of us have no clue what we're doing because we don't get trained um, when our partners are in rehab. We have to learn it all through trial and error or hopefully through an occupational therapist that actually cares to help us. And that's why when people ask us, you know, what's the most important thing we can do um, when we go home after an injury, I always say the same thing. I'm like, I don't think you quite understand how good of a resource an occupational therapist is because there are things that you don't know and that you don't even know to look for that they can help you to see things differently. Cause you guys see things very, very differently than most people. Um, and it's a real asset. So I think we'll get to that a bit later. Um, we have some questions about what we as WAGs of SCI can do to help our partners. But let's hit up number two first, because we're talking about prevention. And I think <laughs> this is also a huge thing that nobody has access to that we've been very fortunate to have access to because of you, Evan. Um, and that is a pressure map. Can you explain to our listeners what a pressure map is and where they can find one and, and, a, and an OT that uses one in their community and why it's important. Perfect. So uh, the first thing I want to say about a pressure map is a pressure map is one tool. It's, it's one thing that we can use to determine how much risk someone's at, but, but it is just that. It's, it's one thing that needs to be used in conjunction with a lot of things. Someone that just exclusively uses a pressure map is, is concerning. Um, so sorry, that, that, that's my first thing that I wanted to say. But so what it is, is it actually measures the pressure between a surface and the client or the, the person in the wheelchair. So it's kind of like, if you've seen those uh, commercials, those Dr. Scholl's commercials, where they, so, where they show someone's foot standing on this surface and it shows where there's blue spots and red spots and the yes. red spots are bad. There's high pressure. So you get a different orthotic 
for your foot. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of like that, but what it is, is it's just a sheet of material and I'll put that between like a wheelchair user and their cushion or between a wheelchair user and their mattress or any other surfaces they're going to be sitting on. I've done them on sit skis. I know coworkers that have done them on horses. I've done them in car seats, ATV seats, any, any surface where a wheelchair user is putting pressure, you can put that map. And then it will tell you how much pressure is at a specific area and can show you where that area is. And then what I'll do is I'll actually reach in with my hand with consent, of course, and make and try to find out what's causing that pressure and see if there's something that we can do to decrease that pressure. And I remember one of my first and greatest experiences with the pressure map was when, and I don't know if you remember this, Evan, but we told you to come meet us at sleep country because we needed to buy a mattress and we wanted to make sure we were getting the right mattress. So we literally brought the Hoyer lift into sleep country. We met up with Evan. We met, my husband was there who was the other Evan. Um, and we kind of toured around and, tried my husband on all of the different mattresses that we thought would be good. And we pressure mapped them at the same time so that we kind of knew what direction we wanted to go in and that it could be justified. And I remember like we were pressure mapping it with like laying down and then 45 degrees and then sitting up in bed. And I think we, our mattress right now was like a zero pressure rating while sitting up like almost 90 degrees. It was like pretty impressive, but we wouldn't have known that if we hadn't have had you there with your pressure map, right? Yeah. And I think the, the pressure map was a great tool in that case. And I think really helped with that selection. One of the reasons that like third party pairs also really like it is it provides something that's very tangible that says this one is better than this one. This mattress or this cushion was this number, this mattress or this cushion is this number. Um, one of the ways that I actually find it really nice and I find I'm using it more and more is less for myself and more for my clients. I think one of the best things that a pressure map does is when you're talking to a client about offloading and they're sitting in their wheelchair and they say, oh, I, I think I offload enough. Or see, look, when, when I tilt my chair back, that's going to help my skin. Right. But when I actually put the pressure map underneath them and they're, and they're mapping red under, under their sit bones or under their ischial tuberosities, and then they tilt back 15 degrees and say, oh, this is how much I tilt. This is good for offloading. But they're still, they still have a lot of pressure. We can show them that if you tilt back 10 degrees more, maybe to 25 degrees, it drops significantly. So I think it's actually a great educational tool for the clients is one of the things that I don't think it, well, it wasn't originally attended for, I think is one of the biggest assets. Yeah, that's so cool. It's such a good tool. It's so impressive, too, because people like to see things in real time, right? Like people like to see a digital print. And it's so cool, because it actually makes you I found that it made me so invested in like what's actually going on under his butt or under his thighs or under his back, because I'm like, okay, this is a real thing. Like, pressure is such a real thing. And I don't think like, I've seen people get lazy over time. And I don't know about you, Evan, but people get lazy. They kind of are like, oh, whatever. If I'm not spasming, it'll be fine. And then before they know it, a pressure sore comes. So I feel like the, the pressure map gets you invested because you've seen it with your own two eyes, right? Yeah. And, and I, I really like that feedback, Brooke. One of the things that I really like, you talked about it being dynamic and in real time. And what I really like is, okay, if I do this here, if I make this change, it immediately gives me this change on the pressure map. Whereas if we're relying on 
the skin to react that that's not a good place to be and that can come up after the fact and then our the user has been on so many different surfaces and even comfort can take a while i always tell people you're gonna know if something's completely wrong right away you're not gonna know if it's right for a while so when somebody sits on a cushion, if they say, oh, this is terrible, I'm going to take that out, out, out from underneath them right away. But if they say, oh, I think this is really good, I'm going to say, sit on it for a while, see what you think, sit on it for a week, five days, see how long we can talk the vendor into letting you sit on it. And then we get an idea from comfort, whereas pressure map gives us that instant feedback. One thing I, I do want to say about pressure mapping is it doesn't replace palpation. So what I mean by palpation is getting your hands on somebody, feeling how somebody's sitting there. And that's why it's it's really important for an OT to, to get their hands in there and feel how people are sitting. If you gave me the option of using a pressure map or putting my hands on somebody to see how they're sitting, I, w- I would take my hands over the pressure map. That's not to diminish the pressure map, but that just kind of says how important that, that palpation and that hands-on is. Perfect. That's really great to know. So don't ever think that a pressure map can replace your OT. (laughs) Um, So one of our questions that we had from the audience was, this is a really great one, because I find that when you guys are talking about occupational therapy and pressure mapping, these are things that a lot of the members in our community don't have access to, but also no knowledge of. So like what I was saying earlier when you leave rehab a lot of the time people just kind of you know they fall to the wayside and and they don't realize how important it is to keep going so here's the question from one of our audience members saying my boyfriend is 20 years post-injury he's a paraplegic what sort of occupational therapy maintenance should he be doing to stay healthy? So even for somebody who is so far down the road, what can they start doing now to, to ensure that it's preventative and to keep themselves going um, healthy? Um, that's a great question. And the thing that's, that excites me about this question is that this is a question that wasn't asked 30, 40 years ago because we didn't expect people with a spinal cord injury to live as long. So now aging with a spinal cord injury is actually a relatively new topic that I think is exciting and you don't see as much much research about. Um, but one of the biggest things for me, I'm assuming if, if he's made it to 20 years, which, which is great, there's a lot you need to deal with. I'm assuming he's probably doing pretty well at managing the skin, but skin is always gonna be important for maintenance and you can never get lazy, you can never forget about the skin. Um, one of the biggest things that starts to come up is shoulders. So a lot of clients, especially someone, you said that this client's a paraplegic. So I'm guessing probably manual wheelchair user, maybe still, maybe has transition to power. So for 20 years, he's been using his shoulders in a way that his shoulders weren't really designed for. And I have a lot of clients that have this perception of their manual wheelchair versus their power wheelchair. And their perception is that power is power is failure, power is giving up, or power is giving up on exercise. And one of the analogies that I always give them is I say, I know you can use your manual wheelchair, but it, you also don't need to make everything hard on you. And, you. and I don't want you to wear out your shoulders. You need to save those for something else. And the point that I say, and I've probably said this to Burke before, I could have biked to this appointment. It would have taken me an hour and a half to bike to the appointment, but I chose to drive my car because it got me there 
more efficiently. It was less taxing on me and I could use that energy somewhere else. So I'm not saying discard the manual wheelchair, but what I'm saying is, is power mobility or even power add-ons things. There's a variety of different power add-ons from power wheels, power add-ons at the back, power add-ons on the front that you can use to, to supplement your manual wheelchair to make it a little bit easier on you. So you're not burning out your shoulders for those, for those transfers and that continue wheeling for another 20 years. I, Absolutely. Yeah. I'm, we always and talk about this, hey, Elena? <laughs> yeah, this is a big one for sure. Um, this is a conversation that we have with our partners as well as I've had this conversation with um, a recent friend whose husband is a C6 and he's just a trooper. He travels all across the world for table tennis and he doesn't even have a power assist. And, and we were talking about this this year, just saying, you know, he's been doing this for 10 years without any power assist, but Holy smokes, this is the year he's going to get a smart drive. Um, and this is the exact same reason why we have Dan has a uh, power chair downstairs in our storage and he hasn't used it. But there are days, especially in the cold and wet, and when you're, you know, once you sustain an injury in your shoulder from transferring, like what you were saying, the wrong way or just overuse, that don't be the hero. There is no need to keep on pushing through it. You know, life isn't about being harder more difficult it's like we're not in that era anymore where you have to be um in pain and just and just pushing through the pain to show how tough you are especially with this injury you have to have to take care of your body so once you first see that strain or that pain within your body just take it easy and you know get that power assist, hop off the manual chair, utilize your power chair. If you have it, um, it's preventative and it's going to do you big favors in the long run. Yeah, I I'm, I'm with you there. I think one of my challenges was with having this discussion is I also don't want to feel like I'm taking something away from a client. So I always say, this is your option. This is how I think it can help you. Do you think this fits with your life? So I've had a couple clients recently that have had injuries long time ago. I had one guy who has a C6, C7 spinal cord injury. I believe he was injured in the mid 70s. So we got in, him into his first power chair. And I went to see him a couple of weeks ago after we delivered the power chair, after it was set up, we were doing some fine tweaking and stuff. And I asked him, I said, hindsight, would you have gone to this sooner? And he said, no. And I, and I was, and I was fine with that answer. He said he's happy with where he's at right now. He's happy you got the power wheelchair now, but he wouldn't have wanted to go there sooner. The other thing that, that I say to my clients is they say like, oh, when I came out of rehab, I had no trouble with my transfers. I was wheeling so far with my manual wheelchair. Well, for a, a user like you talked about 20 years post-injury, I'll bet all that user's friends aren't doing the same things they were doing 20 years ago. An, another client that was injured... I think in the late 60s that I recently got into a power chair, his, his wife is actually using a walker now. And I said to him, I said, I'll, I'll bet if you look around at your circle, when you were injured at the age of 19, all your friends were getting around different than they are right now. So the fact that you've aged and changed is just like how your friends have done it. Some, some of your friends are now requiring a mobility device that don't have a disability. That's but a really I good just, point. Yeah, I, I just want to say my caveat is, I'm not saying someone needs to go to power. I just want people to know that power or power mobility or power add-on 
isn't isn't failure. It's it's another option, and it might be right for you. It might not. Yeah, and I'm glad that you said this because it makes me kind of sad because I remember when Evan was first injured, and I don't know, Evan, if you remember this, Evan, my husband, when he was first injured, um, he was kind of like that too. Like he wanted to be in his manual chair like all the time. And the fact is, is that he tried and he tried and he tried and he spent years, you know, we went down to California to develop his strength. And the fact of the matter is the limitations that he had from his, you know, his shoulder, he has like a C, you know, a really high level uh, function of a shoulder on his left side. Um, he just wasn't able to control power assist. He wasn't able to like push his manual chair. It was me doing more work and it was like exhausting for both of us. And then, you know, I remember one of the therapists at, at adapt said the same thing that you did, Evan, they were like, listen, if I could tell my clients anything, I would say, stop with that attitude about you need to use your power chair or you need to use your manual chair because it's cooler. He's like, I've seen some people that are, you know, C5, C6 developing very strong curves in their upper back and really poor posture because they're overcompensating and using their manual too much. And they, they just have terrible posture a few years later and they get like problems with their back and like you were saying, shoulders. And Evan was like, you know what? Like, I'm going to try my best. I'm going to gain my strength. But if I can't use my manual chair, all the time. I'm not going to beat myself up about it because I want to maintain my posture. I want to do what's right from my injury level and what I can do. And so, yeah, I just, I just kind of wish that that wasn't such a thing because I've heard it so often. Oh, I just want to be in my manual because it's cool. And, you know, uh, bless these guys for, you know, wanting to be cool. But I don't know. I kind of wish being in a power chair was cool too. (laughs) Well, and you know, one of the one of the power mobility things that I wanted to talk a little bit about that was an interesting perspective for me, and I don't know if you guys would be familiar with this, and I'm not here to promote equipment, but um, there was a client that I got a call about that wanted to trial a power chair called the Jenny. So this is kind of a special power chair hybrid thing that's built on the Segway platform. So the Segway platform, you remember that mall cop thing with the two wheels that you stand, you lean forward, you lean to the side, that kind of stuff. And that's how it steers. Well, a couple of these wheelchairs have started to come out. And there was this, the only person that would sell them in Canada is actually in Burnaby. And so there was a client that wanted to come from Ontario to try it. So I communicated with his OT and um, she said, my client really wants to demo this. Can you facilitate it? Can you help us out with this process? And I said, sure. But then I went to the distributor and I said, if, if I'm going to recommend this to a client, I want to go out and I want to use it myself. I want to get to learn about it. And what was really cool for me is I took this device out and we went around the golf course that's close to where this distributor is. And when we were going down, uh, down the cart path by this one hole, these guys came up to me and they were pretty confused because they wondered why my golf cart didn't have an attachment for clubs on the back of it. They did <laughs> not see it as a mobility device. Wow. Did not have a disability to them. How it was perceived was like a one-man golf cart. That's what they thought I was driving around. Wow. And I think that's something that a lot of a lot of therapists, a lot of professionals miss because we don't think about the perception. I purposely spend time talking with my clients about how they want their wheelchair to look or what color they want in that because I know how I want my 
choose to look. I know how I want my car to look. I, I have an idea of how I want to be perceived in that. And I think our, our clients or wheelchair users should, should be allowed the same thing. And that, that was an interesting moment for me. It was kind of a small moment, but it, it, was, it was big for me as well. Because when we were whipping around on these things, and we were in a seated position on them, they, they had no perception that they were a piece of equipment for somebody with a disability. That's very interesting. That, 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 I think, is one of the pushbacks of power mobility, is, is the perception of somebody being in a power wheelchair. So maybe this is a thing for the industry that we can do things a little bit different with them, focus a little bit more on, more on perception of them. Yeah. And I'm going to need to Google this chair because you know how, how Evan, Evan is. <laughs> Evan's like obsessed with like, he wants things to be sleek and black and kind of like subdued. And like, he doesn't really want to have like bells and whistles everywhere. I, I remember, remember when we were trying to find him a new power chair and Evan was super excited because he was like, oh, I'm so excited to see what's come down the pipeline for new power chairs. And then when he remember saw the- what was available, he's like, uh, nothing's changed. <laughs> remember the jetpack? Yes, the little jetpack thing <laughs> that he was so excited about. That's why I was laughing. I was like, "Oh, maybe you want the, one of these chairs for yourself just to get around." <laughs> They're kind of fun. <laughs> we always joke about the stuff like that. I mean, not in real life, but it mean it would definitely make grocery shopping a lot, lot easier when you're like the solo grocery shopper. <laughs> I find you yeah. hang all the all the bags on your boyfriend's or your husband's chair on their handles, and yeah. then you you carry some. It makes it easier. Yeah, hundred percent. Um we want to stick on kind of like the topic of like aging. Yes. Um, because there's a lot of questions about um, what to do as far as standing frames uh, with someone who's had an injury for a while that hasn't been standing. So this specific question is he's a T4 SCI who is 17 years post injury. And is it safe to start using a standing frame? And I think this is a question that a lot of people wonder, um, is it safe to go and start using that after you've been injured for a while? That is a challenging thing to answer. And I, don't want to skirt around the answer, but it's really hard without knowing the individual. So there's there's a lot of things to consider when you're looking at a standing frame. We want to be looking at, one, is their bone density? And a lot of clients, if they've spent so much time in bed or in wheelchairs that they're not loading those bones, then their bones aren't going to be as dense as they need to be. Their bones aren't going to need to be as strong. So when you put them in a standing position, they're all of a sudden weight bearing through their feet, through their legs when they're not used to doing that. That could result in fractures or could result in in damage. So maybe somebody with significant bone loss may not be appropriate to be in a standing chair. Another thing to consider is their range of motion. We want to make sure that somebody has the range of motion in their ankle, their feet, knees, hips to get into that appropriate standing position. Um, I, I just wanted to touch a little bit on the on the T four level injury because I find that that is probably one of the levels of injury, T1 to T4, that is the most challenging to do the wheelchair seating with because these uh, these users have totally functional upper bodies and by arms and they want to do all these things. They want to be active with all these things, but they don't have the core. So I can understand where this client is, is coming to that standing position. Um, the other things that I wanted to say about being in that standing position is, uh, blood pressure can be a big issue. Um, especially if you haven't been standing for a long period of time, our bodies are amazingly adaptable and 
we're not used to fighting gravity to get blood throughout the body. So we need to be very careful when somebody's going up into a standing position, even if they regularly use a standard and haven't used one for a while or are feeling unwell, you might see blood pressure bottom out when they get into a standing position. Interesting. Good tips. Um, from your perspective, how important is standing in general? Like from your strictly your perspective, just in general. <sighs> Well, that's a big question. <laughs> Sorry. Um, when I described OT earlier, I talked a lot about function. And a lot of people are familiar with physical therapy. And we work very closely with physical therapy, but there's some areas where we differ a little bit. And to be completely honest, I usually defer to physios more when it comes to a standing question or getting a standing frame or something like that for somebody. And the reason being, physios are, I find, quite focused on mobility, which is great. That's why physios are often people's best friends in the hospital. That's the person that's going to get me walking again. That's the person that's giving me the exercises. That, that's the person that's giving me that stuff. As an OT, I take a step back and I want to look at function. What is that standing going to give me? And the functional things that standing can give you is help maintain bone density, help maintain range of motion, help with with bowel function, a lot of us don't realize that our, our digestive system is primarily based on gravity. And when we're not adding gravity to that equation, that's why a lot of clients can have issues with, with bowel function. Um, another thing is for interacting with our environment. If you have a standing frame that you can actually wheel and move around, I have clients that can successfully reach their tall cupboards in their kitchen or change the light bulbs with their standing frame. So it, it can really help someone's function. Another thing that's uh, less tangible to people that aren't wheelchair users is social interaction. And I'm sure you guys as significant others of somebody with a spinal cord in injury have been in environments when somebody talks to you and talks directly over your husband or significant other's head. And I think that can be very frustrating for someone with a spinal cord injury. I understand it at a level that I can without being in a in a chair myself but that's something that a standing frame or a standing chair or a chair with elevation can help address when you go into a restaurant that the hostess will talk to your husband as opposed to always deferring you or you go into a meeting with somebody and they will talk to your husband equally like they'll talk to you that's actually a really good point. I was talking to Dan about this uh, the other day about, because I find sometimes when I interact with people who are in wheelchairs, I tend to kind of like squat down. And I actually asked Dan this other day, I was like, is that weird? Like, is it weird to have somebody come over to you and get down at your level? Or, you know, we were just kind of talking about the height of different individuals that we interact with, who he feels most comfortable with. And he mentioned that, somebody um that we know is around like five foot one and he's like I love talking to her because I can like get she can kind of get on my level and um he was like no he's like I totally don't find it offensive when people will squat down to talk to me but how many people will actually do that without feeling a awkward or be like like uncomfortable themselves because you're squatting down. So I love that you mentioned this. This is also a really great awareness piece within our community for friends and family. When we're, you know, when you're talking to our significant others or other people that it's like, not everybody 
I mean, we're all so different, but it's not awkward to be on the same level as the person you are communicating with and having eye contact with. So I absolutely love that piece of advice. Standing wheelchairs um, are an incredible, incredible piece of equipment. Yeah. And I think like I've had clients describe it being like you're sitting in a chair at a concert and everyone else is standing. And, and you and you're not you're not participating and everyone else is interacting with each other and one of the one of the distributors or sorry one of the wheelchair manufacturers out there actually called their elevation feature on their chair eye level and that was kind of their their Smart. marketing was to, to bring someone up to eye level so they can have that that communication at, at the same level as everybody else and Brooke, you know what it feels like when we went to when we went to the Coldplay concert with with Evan and Dan. Remember everybody else standing up around us, and then and then the four of us were kind of like sitting down in the wheelchair section. And it's okay once you're in the wheelchair section, um, in the accessible section. But when you're on the on the floor and everybody is standing up around you, you can't really see anything, right? So you miss like the whole beauty of of what's going on. Yeah, that would suck, definitely. Definitely. Um, all right. So let's move on to our next question. Mm-hmm. So the next question we've got for you, we're kind of hopping around here a little bit, um, is what can spouses do to help make an OT's life easier? I would say a, a couple big things. Being honest like telling me when there's an issue, not trying to have this brave face and say, no, I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. And then behind closed doors, having difficulties, there are a lot of different things I can help you with. And there's a lot of stuff that we can work on together. And I'm not going to say you give me the question. I give you the answer. It's you pose the question. We talk about a possible answer, but if you don't pose the question, I might not even realize that's an issue that, um, that you guys are dealing with. I have a client, a lot of my clients, it's, it's no surprise are, are men. I have a client who is a woman and a, something that was really important to her was to return to doing her makeup after having a cervical level injury. So we spent a lot of time doing this like custom height adjustable vanity with different universal cuffs for her brushes and all that kind of stuff and a holder for a hairdryer and that. And that came up because that's something that she asked me about. So I know I kind of sidetracked there, but I think as a spouse, ask the question. Sometimes your partner might not be willing to because they might think that this is something that's a poor reflection on them, that they need help with bowel and bladder or something like that, that they might see as embarrassing. So being being honest with the OT, I'm, I'm only as good as the information that I have from you. I think some other stuff would be talking to an OT as soon as possible. And if you think there's something that might possibly be a concern, that's when I want you to call me. I don't want you to wait and say, oh, well, you know, maybe that red spot will go away or maybe that one's not that bad. Call me right away. I'd love to do an appointment and say, you know what, you guys are doing everything fine. That's a non-issue. Perfect. You, you sleep better with it. And then that also gives me a little check in and say, yeah, everything's going well. We haven't met up in a while. So that that's perfectly fine. That, that to me is the ideal one. And, I think one of the biggest things for me for um, caregivers or spouses is tell me if you don't like what I'm suggesting. I don't want lip service. I don't want someone to say, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely do that. And then as you leave, so th- there's, there's no way. 
that 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 doesn't make sense. You don't understand our situation. We're going to do something different. Tell me. You can tell me I'm dead wrong with my suggestion, and that's totally fine. Then we'll work with it. That that's honest communication. If someone's someone's challenging me, that means that they're listening, and I want I want to be challenged. Yeah, and I I think that people out there need to understand that, like, from my experience, anyways. Uh, people don't understand how knowledgeable and creative occupational therapists are. Like, I think they view it as like a more science-based thing because you guys work at hospitals and rehab centers and stuff like that. And and I, I think there's awareness that needs to happen around how how solutions oriented you guys are and how like you were talking about the makeup thing, how you guys have the kind of brain that like looks at the situation and says, Oh, I have an idea for this. And I have an idea for that. And something that we as WAGs or our partners would never even think or dream up that you guys would be able to help them with is, is so, so, so cool to me because there's literally unlimited possibilities, right? You're right, Brooke, but I, also want to give you guys some credit in that a, a lot of a lot of what's out there available in equipment hasn't come from therapists. A lot of what's out there available has equipment has come from users. So tell me if you've got an idea. You might have a far better idea than me. What like somewhere along the way you're going to have an idea. One of the things with Evan that I know has really worked well for him that didn't come from me that came from you guys was the Apple Watch, and I know that's worked out really well for him. That, that was an idea that came from you guys. So don't discredit the ideas that you guys have as well. And then that gets into the industry. Then I can take that and I can apply that with somebody else and say, this is an awesome idea that one of my clients had. Yeah, that's really cool. And speaking think- of like us and our ideas, um, you know, a lot of us out there want to help our partners, but we also need to help ourselves. And we also need to make our lives easier by making their lives easier, especially the caregivers and the full-time caregivers out there. Um, this is kind of putting you on the spot, but do you have any advice as to what we could do or how we could help ourselves um, and how you could help us as an OT with anything from transfers to, I don't know, anything at all that you, any advice that you have for, for us. Well, that, that's super broad, Brooke. And it's interesting because what <laughs> I was just going to say before you said that was my last point with this question is that I want you guys to remember your role as a spouse as well. And not to fall under that role of just being a caregiver because they are different roles. And you guys naturally have to blur those roles. But I want you to be very clear on on that. As far as like things to help yourself, I think respite care is something that's that's really powerful. And even if it isn't respite care as healthcare typically defines it. And sorry to me, respite care is if you're a 24-hour caregiver for somebody and you need time off, respite care comes in and takes care of somebody. Well, you can go do whatever you want. It really doesn't matter what you do. But that is sometimes a little bit less tangible for somebody with with the spinal cord injury. And that's spending time out in the community and and doing other things and, and giving yourself that, I don't want to say that time away, that doesn't even sound right, but taking that time for yourself. Cause if you're not caring for the caregiver, that's the most important part when you've got somebody that needs assistance and somebody that provides care. The person that you need to take care of is the caregiver. Because if you don't take care of the caregiver, the person that requires the care ends up suffering. 
Right. Amen. Preach, <laughs> preach. That's interesting he says that, Elena. Hey, because, you know, you probably know this about us, but we're fierce advocates for caregivers and we feel like it's just time and time and time again, our needs are not considered um, in every possible way that you can imagine. So I'm really glad that you said that from your professional, you know, mm-hmm. your professional standpoint. Well, and we always say that it's so important to have me time, to have time to like recharge your own battery pack and and do something for yourself. And I know that that the pandemic makes it a little bit trickier to spend time um, doing other things or away from your partner as we're really strong advocates also for stay home, stay safe. (laughs) But it is so important to, you know, make that whatever feeds your soul, whatever makes you feel really vibrant and great, just do that. Spend that time within your comfort zone of taking care of yourself. Brooke and I are huge uh, preachers of, you know, self-care through bath, having a nice bath, going for a nice walk, you know, taking that time to read a little bit of a, a book that you're enjoying, cup of tea, glass of wine, whatever it is, conversation with friends, family, girlfriends, whatever it is, the small stuff, you can even do something a little bit more superficial, like a mani petty, getting out. That time um, to take care of yourself and nurture your soul is so crucial because like we say, you cannot pour from an empty cup. And and I and I guess the biggest thing is is you know you. You're gonna find the thing that works for you. For me, I'm an outdoors person. I find I get squirrely, and my wife will tell you this too, when I haven't had the chance to be outside. When I haven't had the chance to do something physical, when I haven't had the chance to do a hike, I'm not the nicest person to be around. So she understands that sometimes I need that time, I need to just get away. And you need to find that for yourself too, as as a caregiver. And your your spouse, your partner might want that too. They might not want you breathing down their neck, reminding them that they need to do their weight shifts every minute of every day. Maybe they need that, <laughs> keeping that time away as well. I was just going to say so that. I, That's very good totally. that you said that. I have a hack. I have a, a, a good, uh, we're talking about COVID and how, you know, a lot of us are kind of cooped up um, and we need alone time. Um, I found that, Evan's um, noise canceling headphones have been an amazing savior for us because, you know, he does his work, he puts his headphones on, he listens to his podcast, he's on his computer, and he doesn't exist for two hours. And, you know, he knows when his headphones are on, it's his time. And I go and do my own thing. And, you know, we're in the same house, but I'm practicing what I need to do. And he's doing his stuff. And although we're both in the same house, um, that's his alone time. And it's, it seems to be working really well for him. And so I've been telling people about it. It's like noise canceling headphones, invest in them. Like it blocks out the world. It like puts you in, you know, your own little bubble for a little while. It's really helped us. And I think what, what you're finding here, Brooke, is you're answering your question more than I did, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. That's a good point. <laughs> That's the best way to learn, right? Is when you like verbalize the the answers that you're seeking (laughs) from others. So our next question for you is, let's see here. So we have one from an audience member as well. Hi, I'm an OT from Italy. How is work in Canada? I'm curious about equipment, clinics, etc. This is a fully loaded question. How does it compare between the two? Not entirely sure, but we're going to give you the floor on this one. Okay. 
So I can't speak to occupational therapy anywhere else. I don't know anything about occupational therapy in, in Europe. I know um, Canada, US and Australia tend to be pretty tied together as far as the education system, but Europe, I really don't know. So I'm, I'm happy to speak to how it works in Canada. And I'll, I'll speak to it in the context of, of someone with a spinal cord injury. So um, in, in Canada, we have this lovely public health care system. So in all the provinces are going to be managed slightly differently, but they will all have an acute care setting that somebody would go to immediately following their spinal cord injury that would probably have a dedicated unit. I've worked, I've spent time on dedicated spine units at VGH, helping clients discharge. I worked on dedicated spine units in uh, Health Sciences Center in Manitoba, and I know there, there's other ones throughout the province. So they would probably start on a dedicated unit for someone with a spinal cord injury that would be staffed better with rehab than a typical acute care setting. So you're going to be a little bit more involved. And then after somebody transitions out of the acute care stage, so that to me is when somebody is medically still needs ongoing physician care. When they're more stabilized, they'll transition to a rehab center. And a stay in a rehab center um, would still be inpatient, but it's really going to vary based on uh, somebody's level of injury. I had clients that were also leaving our local rehab center quite fast because of COVID. So it, it can be impacted by a variety of things. But when you're at that rehab center, the switch kind of goes from acute care where it's doctors and nurses first, therapy staff second to rehab where it's doctor and nurses are kind of more in the background. They still obviously have an active role and the rehab staff dictates most of your day and they're kind of your primary focus. And then um, transitioning into the community, in our community, everyone can be connected with a community occupational therapist in Canada. I don't know the system in the U.S. or anywhere else, but there are community OTs. Now, they're not going to have specialized knowledge because they can get blanket referrals for anyone in the community, whether it's someone with a spinal cord injury, little old lady with a hip replacement, anywhere in between someone with mental health concerns. So everyone has that connection to those OTs. And then those OTs can work with you and the vendor to acquire any equipment that you need. They might be writing letters of justification, that kind of stuff. So that's kind of the public system. How I'm involved is I work for a company that works for that does contract work for third-party payers. So I do a lot of work with WorkSafe or workers' compensation with uh, ICBC, which is our local auto insurance. And that so that is paid a little bit differently. So that's why Brooke talked about them having access to different things. So how that works is Essentially, the, the third-party payer, whether it's WorkSafe or ICBC, will call up the company, say, hey, I've got a client with this type of situation. Do you have an occupational therapist that can take them on? They'll call me, say, hey, Evan, can you see this person? I'll say, yeah, sure, send me the referral. I contact the client or the wheelchair user, and we work together, and then I'll write the letters of justification, work on the equipment. I don't get to give the approval. I give my expert opinion. And then the third-party payer gives the approval. So if they give us the thumbs up for everything, perfect. Then I help out with the delivery and I make sure everything's working after the fact. When we're not actively working on anything, we discharge. As you guys probably have experienced yourself, 
you, you're never not actively working on something. So discharging can be challenging sometimes, but that's fine. So that's a little bit about how occupational therapy works in Canada and a little bit more specifically in BC. I don't know if that answers yeah, I think that I think that's great. I think that's really, really great because people want to know processes, right? I think it's really important to understand the process and how you guys work with the community and what stages and all that because, uh, you know, we've been to Italy. We know how different it is there. So, she, you know, she's probably, she'll listen and she'll bring her ideas there and she'll see, you know, what she can do differently or whatever. I think it's really important to mention that, you know, and you cover this with your, you know, letters of medical justification, your expert opinion is that insurance companies and the government rely on your opinion as a professional, as an expert. And it's not just doctors and specialists that that have this ability. It's you guys. And I don't think people really understand that. Um, you know, a lot of doctors that are writing letters of medical justification, they may not be experts in spinal cord injury. Um, so I just, I just want to really ingrain this into people's minds that like an occupational therapist that knows spinal cord injury is going to have a very, very powerful role to play in whether you get a piece of equipment approved or not, because they are highly regarded, right? I mean, we've we've asked you for letters so many times, I can't even count. And, you know, you facilitate the process with our insurer, and we wouldn't be able to do it without you. But they look to you for answers, which is huge. Um, I know, especially in the States, that couples and women and, and, and men in our community have problems because they can't find doctors that know about spinal cord injury. So I think that's a huge thing for them to know that, oh, you know, you can't find a specialist in your area. Why don't you try looking for an occupational therapist? Because they're respected, right? Yeah, yeah you're right, Brooke. And some of the insurance companies vary, though. Um for example, some of them need a doctor's letter. So no matter what I write, they still need a doctor's prescription. So the doctor scribbles down wheelchair and then I can, I'll, I'll do all the other stuff. I just want to be careful with what she said there is that, and we work very closely with physicians and they're going to have a lot of knowledge on the medical side that I'm, I'm never going to have. I'm never going to completely understand. And I'm totally willing to admit what, what I, what I don't know. With one of the programs that our company does, the, the wound program that you obviously know about, Brooke, is we actually even come around with wound care nurses. So what happens is we go around every two, three, or four years, depending on someone's level of risk. Usually it's every, we try to keep it to every two. Um, and we just go over someone's entire situation, whether it's everywhere from their bowel and bladder routine to the old commode that's breaking down home modifications anything else and it's actually really fun because we get to delve into all that but even all that stuff we bring in two healthcare professionals for because a, a wound care nurse is going to know a lot better about managing a wound or managing bowel and bladder care than I'm going to know as an OT but I'm also going to know more about different equipment than them and i I'm going to go back to talking a little bit more about the OT role. And one of the things that's nice is having an OT come in every once in a while to kind of look at everything and do a once over. Cause I'll tell you when I get a new referral for a client, it, it's going to say something really straightforward, like, Oh, they just need new crutches. 
And I go in there and I guarantee that there's going to be something else. And I'm not fishing for things because it financially benefits me. I'm going to help them go through everything. And they're going to say, oh, yeah, that thing. Yeah, I never dealt with that. Oh, yeah, I've got that old leaky rojo in the corner. So I think that's why it's good to have to have someone come in and, and look over all that stuff with you. And we can look at it a little bit more broadly. It's kind of a forest for the trees thing. But that's another big benefit of occupational therapy. Amazing. Awesome. Okay, Evan, we have had your time now for almost an hour here. We have a couple last questions left for you. What, this is going to be a tricky one. What do you recommend the top five best products in the OT world to help your clients with spinal cord injury or disabilities? So I was, I was actually giving this some thought because I had the questions ahead of time, which is very helpful. Thank you guys. And everyone's going to talk about like expensive, cool things that have come out. So I wanted to focus on some low cost things that I think can really benefit people with spinal cord injuries. Um, the first one is a mirror. So in BC, WorkSafe understands the importance of a mirror so much that they give us stacks of these mirrors to give out to our clients when we see them for the first time. So it's nothing that fabulous, no engineering marvel, just with a little bit of a, a bent arm on it so that someone can see their own skin specifically on, on their bomb and, and look at their, look at their ITs. Um, I think that is, is worth its weight in gold. Cause if you see redness start to develop, it can be dealt with right away. You give me that call right away and then I, I can be there and we can deal with it. Another thing is I know you guys or people might feel, well, I'm the caregiver. I'm fine. We don't need that. But this allows the wheelchair user to more participate in it. They can see what's going on. They can physically see what you're seeing as opposed to maybe you saying, oh, it's not that bad or, oh, it's here. They, they can physically see and they can participate in it. Even if you're using a makeup mirror or something, that would work. Um, another one is like smart home commercial equipment. So there's so much of this out here right now. When I first went through OT school, it was really cool that in uh, Manitoba, we were connected with rehab engineering. So we had all these engineers that we would ask task with making all these different devices for us, automatic door openers and switches and all that kind of stuff. The cool part of it now is that's all commercially available. You can get like Google home devices that can turn on your lights, unlock your doors, reset your furnace, open your door, all that kind of stuff. So I would explore some of that commercially available stuff because the cost of that has come down astronomical since it doesn't have that medical device or disability tag on it. Um, with that um, also is voice-to-text software. So typing used to be a big issue. I'm not too sure if uh, Evan actually uses this, but there's different voice-to-text software like Dragon Naturally Speaking is yes. one of them. Yes. That's a great one. On a computer. Yeah, it is. Uh, my boyfriend's actually going to, he's in recreational therapy um, right now. And he uses voice over the Dragon software for all of his like paper writing, all of his research papers, everything. And it's incredible. It's so, so good. And, and so much of it is even embedded in operating systems on computers right now. I was going to so say Gmail is the best. G Gmail dictate is amazing. <laughs> And, and and that that's that stuff is right there and i a lot of those are at actually at no additional cost because because they're embedded so it's something to look into a couple other little things um 
One is, I would say, a good pocket or a phone holder in your wheelchair. I'm sure you guys have heard lots of stories about powered chairs going over new cell phones or losing cell phones and that kind of stuff. I've had people like take their favorite pair of jeans, we cut the back pocket out of them and sew the pocket like under the front of a cushion cover or something like that for something that's going to work and that like the wheelchair user can access their phone or access their wallet independently. That's so um, smart. And is that something is that something them. that you guys are like in charge of doing or helping assist do? Like fine. So if I'm looking at a wheelchair, yeah, that's one of the things that we're going to talk about is these are the pockets. These are the things that come with them. And yeah, that example that I gave about a client that picked out a pair of jeans, I had that sewn to the cushion cover by one of the vendors that I was working with. And that was a custom modification to the cushion. I've had text custom modify cell phone cases to, to mount them to somebody's wheelchair, put them in a way such that it's it's protected so it's not going to fall out, but that somebody with limited hand function can still access their phone and, and get it in and out. That's so awesome. I feel like we're going to have to talk after this podcast. <laughs> sure. <laughs> like, like with that, with the phone and wallet is um, pre-setting up ways to pay for items. I know I'm, I'm not a coffee person, but my wife will go to Starbucks and stuff and everything's just on your phone. So somebody with very limited hand function can pay for something without risking pulling out their wallet and spilling their cards everywhere and relying on somebody else that might be at the coffee shop to pick up all their cards for them. They can just set up a tap on their phone or set up a tap on their card. And and these are all features that are all like universal design that aren't that weren't designed with people with disabilities in mind, but can really benefit them. So they're widely available and not at that significant of a cost. Well, it's, it's so cool where technology is going. I mean, you must, you've been in OT for a few years now. You must have seen just an amazing increase in accessibility in the past few years. Cause I even remember when my husband was first injured, you know, like you said, the Google light thing, it wasn't a thing. It wasn't a popular thing. It wasn't readily available. Nobody had it. It was just coming out. And now all of a sudden everything is like hands-free and voice activated. And it's just, you know, you're right. It's not designed for people with limited mobility, but it works so well. And it's a great way to have more research in that department. Because I always complain about how, you know, people don't innovate in the wheelchair community that often in my experience, because there's not a lot of money in it, right? But there's a lot of money in wearable tech and voice activated everything. And so it's going to keep developing, which is so cool. It's really, it gives me a lot of hope anyways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you're great. You're right. And we can take advantage of that stuff. And why not? Um, I guess a couple other little ones that I put on here. Um, this one's a bit more of a cost, but isn't a huge cost would be like a low profile cushion for someone to use in a car when you're going on a plane, just a little like roll up inflatable cushion that'll maybe give you an extra half inch of air or half inch of gel when you're sitting on a surface that that isn't your wheelchair a surface that's that's unfamiliar um and the last one i think we did this with evan was uh grip tape on the foot plates like i've gone to skate shops before and got rolls of grip tape to put on foot plates if someone's foot keeps coming off but we don't necessarily want to use straps to hold their feet there it's a, right. it's a safety issue it's also an optics thing right 
I've also done both sides of Velcro on somebody's shoes. One side of the Velcro on the footplate, the other side of Velcro on the bottom of somebody's shoes. If you look at the bottom of the shoe, it looks kind of different, but nobody sees that when you're in the wheelchair. Yeah. These kind of things are just so creative and so cool. And, you know, uh, you guys are just such a huge, 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 huge resource that everybody needs to know what you guys are and what you guys do. Um, so we're happy to do our part in spreading this kind of awareness to people that don't, you know, have this knowledge. So thank you so much. We have one final question for you. Um, this is a bit of parting advice. So if you had any advice for someone who is newly injured, um, what, is, what is your best advice for them? What would you tell somebody if you had, you know, a couple minutes with that person after they were freshly injured? That's well, what I would say is like your life has changed significantly. Um, I think you need to take some time to mourn the loss of your old life because it's changed and it's, it's not going to be the same as it was before. Just like all the other life changes that we can go through. And I think people need to take some time to digest that. And that looks different to everybody. Things are going to be different. I'm not going to say harder. I'm going to say different. Um, I think mentors can be extremely beneficial. There's things that a therapist can give you. I feel like I have pretty significant knowledge about spinal cord injury and equipment for somebody with a spinal cord injury, but there's, there's a level that I can't get to when I haven't used one or used a wheelchair or lived with a spinal cord injury day in, day out. Um, so mentors are beneficial, but know that your story's unique and that you aren't going to go down that exact same path as, as one of the mentors. And depending on the mentor you talk to, people like to talk about success stories sometimes more than they like to talk about failure. So they're not going to talk about maybe some of the harder stuff that you're dealing with. Um, and the other thing I was going to say is like, you can still living a fulfilling life after a spinal cord injury is, is very possible. And I think there's so many examples out there. And I'd mentioned earlier that, clients that were injured in the 60s, 70s were told that they didn't have a very long life expectancy. Now they're not saying that anymore because these, these clients have, have done so well. And um, I recently had a client, the guy that I was saying that I got into a power chair and I asked him after the fact, he said he was happy with the timeline. One of the visits that I went um, to go see him with, with his wife, she said, I want to show you something. I was like, okay. We're working away at the wheelchair and doing whatever we're doing. She comes back. She says, I want to show you this picture. And she said, when, when he was first injured, they told him that it would be 10 to 12 years that he would live. Now, he was injured in the mid-70s. So he's obviously long exceeded that. She said, here's our four-generation picture. Wow. Now, for any of you that have had children, you know that, that that's a special picture when you get great-grandparents, grandparents, parents, and then the new, the new grandchild or great-grandchild in the picture. She said, I would love to go back and tell all the rehab staff about this. But I, I said to her, I said, you and I both know they're not there. Anymore. And she said, yeah, and some of them are probably gone too. I said, yeah. So that is something that was a goal of this client and his wife. He was injured, I believe, shortly after his, uh, his son was born. I, I don't know the exact timeline on his kids, but that was a, that was a great experience for me. And I'm like, I want you to take that. I want you to post that on the wall at the rehab hospital and tell people, and I'm not saying that 
that needs to be somebody's goal. But if that's your goal, that's that's still more than possible. And many people have done it, even though it's it's going to be different. Uh, a close friend of mine um, that I met before was an OT, doesn't have a spinal cord injury, but he, he has cerebral palsy, no cognitive issues, but he uses a manual wheelchair um, as his primary source of mobility. Him and his wife are expecting their, their first kid at the end of March. And we were talking about what he needed because I have two young kids and he worked with, uh, with a society here called the Tetra society and they had built him a modified crib so that he could wheel and have his knees under the crib, but he could still, he could still reach in and deal with his child and whatever they're going to be needing in the middle of the night. And, um, I'm not saying that needs to be a goal for some of your clients and some, some, some people out there that, that follow this, but it's, if they want it to be, it's, it's more than realistic and, and more than possible. And yeah. That's really inspiring. Thank you so much for sharing those stories. That, that's awesome. And, you know, I'd like to add that, um, we were both told Elena and I, and we had the same experiences, um, in rehab where we were kind of like, well, you know, how long are you going to do this for? Most of you guys will break up. Like we are kind of given the bad news, like, oh, you probably won't make it through this. Um, and the nurses were like, oh, you know, we hardly ever see people that make it through this. And we didn't want to be a statistic. So that story is really inspiring because not only has he lived this long and had all these generations, but they're still married, which is really hopeful. Right, Elena? Oh, absolutely. And these are things that are really great to keep in mind because I feel like a lot of the time it's like the great unknown. You know, there's so many unknowns when you first have this injury and each day you're just kind of putting one wheel in front of the other, one foot in front of the other, and, you know, taking it one step at a time or one wheel at a time. I always tell Dan, like, when we head out, we're like, let's go for a wheel. <clears throat> Sometimes I forget that one of us is in a chair and the other one isn't. But, you know, trust the process. Trust the process to lead you to where you need to be and trust your OT. <laughs> I think that's the biggest takeaway in all of this. So thank you so much for coming on today, Evan. We greatly appreciate you taking the time, being present here, being here with us um, on this beautiful rainy day in Vancouver. <laughs> and to all of our listeners, thank you for taking the time to spend this time with us. We greatly appreciate it. We hope that you have gained some education. Knowledge is power. And remember, if we can uh, get a hold of Evan and his OT expertise, how do we do that? Um, I would like to set up something ongoing that we can do these discussions regularly if you guys want to do that. Yeah, we that's really cool. Pick a topic that we could talk about if you guys have a bunch of questions, any any assortment from all over the place. I'm happy to feel the ones I can and tell you I can't answer the ones that I can. Yeah. If that's that would, awesome. That would be very ongoing. cool. I, I just wanted to say one more thing. You, you were saying trust your OT. And I guess I want to be careful <laughs> with that because I want you to question your OT and, and, and challenge your OT. And if they don't if they don't respond well to that, then they're probably not the right OT for you. I if if somebody's asking me and challenging me, that that means they're involved. And the most important person to be involved in the rehab is is the, the user. I, I can make up I could recommend what a book will tell you is the perfect equipment or what I think is the perfect equipment for somebody. But if I don't have their buy-in, it's, it's, it's no good. I need, I need your involvement too. Aw, that's really, really great. Awesome. Yeah, that's very cool. 
Well, thank so you thank again. Thank you so much. Thank you again, Evan, for coming on. And we really, really value your time. And we know there's a lot of people listening right now that have learned so, so much from this podcast. And we would be happy to have you on again at a later date. Um, if anyone mm-hmm. else has any questions for us, you can email us wagsofsci at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram at wagsofsci. You can visit our website, wagsofsci.com. Um, and of course, a special shout out to our episode sponsor, Robin Wishart of Wishart Brain and Spine Law. Um, if you have any questions for our legal advocate, please email us as well. And thank you for tuning in. Awesome. Thanks for spending the day with us today, guys. And thank you, Evan. Cheers. Cheers.